And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When the choice seems to be to tear down the church or build a wall around it, we aim to walk the narrow road of nuance through the wilderness between the warring factions and try to figure out what it means to love God and people well. I think this is going to be a little bit of an interesting conversation. Oh, do tell. I have mixed feelings. Not mixed feelings. I have pretty firm feelings. <laughs> well, are... I suppose they could be firm and mixed at the same time. That's true. They're firmly mixed. Um, <laughs> so for those of you listening, if you've listened to the last uh, two podcasts that are out now, you've heard kind of what we're trying to do and talk through just the, the Beatitudes and kind of what they've become. Uh, how America has maybe changed some things to fit our own agendas or priorities or culture as opposed to what Jesus may have intended. And last episode, we said uh, we talked through the first one and we, we titled it Blessed are the Rich in Ego to kind of counteract the blessed are the poor in spirit. And this week, what we're, we're kind of going through is the second one. And this one's titled Blessed are those who suck it up. And yeah, I don't know. I have some mixed feelings just because I think there's, it's just a mixed bag, Taylor. Okay. <laughs> there's a lot there. And I think there are things and portions of your life where, yes, it's valuable to to suck it up, you know, and, and to move forward and to not lean into ourselves too much, but to move past that. And we'll get into it too much. I don't, I don't want to say too much there, but I, I think there's a stark difference in, in those, you know, obviously what we're we're talking through is blessed are those who mourn um, for they shall be comforted is, is the beatitude. And, and I grew up in many ways where, you know, I, and I don't know if it was inadvertently or was kind of a, a push thing by culture and everything, but it was, you know, you don't show emotions, you suck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, you do what you have to do. And I don't necessarily disagree with that in some ways, but I do in others. <laughs> so, <laughs> Because we, I'm sure we will discuss it in depth. I'll leave room for that. We'd, but I we'd think better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's my initial take when thinking through it. Um, and yes, we'll, we'll explain. We'll talk through it more. But I want to hear your kind of initial hot take before. I well, talk I have mixed feelings. <laughs> Are they firm? <laughs> no, as you'll see. Yeah, I, I have quite a lot of thoughts too. Because um, in the last couple of years, I've come to realize that I am, have been somebody who has kind of boxed myself out of being demonstra- demonstrably emotional outwardly. But then also, um, I have fooled myself into not feeling things and being honest with how and realizing I haven't been honest with how things have affected me. And I have um, not allowed myself to respond or react or to feel about things that I should. And 
called that a good thing. And I think sometimes, as kind of what you're hinting at, sometimes it is good to be on an even keel emotionally. Sometimes it is good to be the kind of person who responds rather than reacts out of your emotions. That, you know, being slow to anger and slow to speak and um, not being ruled by your emotions. But I think, in, as so many of the things that we talk about, what we're trying to get at, at at the core of it is is it isn't an either or. It's it's a matter of balancing those things, or at least trying to make sure that we exercise wisdom in how we handle them. And so for me, it was, you know, when I would get hurt or bothered by something, I would say, "Well, I'm just going to let that roll off. It, it's okay. I'm not going to let that mm-hmm. bother me." And there are times where that's appropriate. The problem with making that kind of your life mantra is that there are some things that should bother you. There are some things that should make you sad, that should make you angry, and that you should then, as a result of those feelings, do something. You should take action. You should have a conversation. You should leave a situation, whatever it it is exactly. And that Mm -hmm. by not being honest and not letting myself feel things, I was then not responding appropriately to the situation because there were things that I needed to get upset about because that's what would motivate me to make changes or have difficult conversations with people or whatever. So that that's kind of one side of it, that there's this cliche in America that like, you know, men are all closed off and stoic. And there's there's probably some cultural truth to that. But part of the way that it, I think part of the way that it takes form is it, it actually, it actually emasculates you if I dare, I mean, obviously, you know, women can have this problem too, but just speaking as a man, as a husband and a father, whatever, <laughs> whatever those things mean these days, anyway, uh, <laughs> that it, ac- it, it actually weakens you. It actually gives you an excuse not to exercise the strength that is required of you. Because by fooling yourself into thinking that you don't have to feel things, it, it means that you don't deal with the reality of your own sinfulness, your own humanness, your own finiteness, your own yeah. emotion. And, and God created us with emotions. That, that's not just a female thing. And that you, you, actually, you actually don't handle the things that you need to handle. It gives you a cop-out. And that, yeah. that's my own experience. I wouldn't want to project that onto other people. But I, that's what I have to bring to the table. That's good. Yeah, I, uh, Lou Holtz. There's a quote from Lou Holtz. He said, don't tell your problems to people. 80% don't care, and the other 20% are glad you have them. Um, <laughs> Gosh. And I, that, that comes to mind simply because I, I think that's where a lot of us have maybe felt mm-hmm. at times, maybe yourself included, like not wanting to share some of that. Like, yeah. who, who really cares? Like, it's my problem. Um, and I know I know there's for sure times I felt like that, and um, whether or not you're in we talk about community a lot on here and whether or not you're in strong community or not, that could be your, your experience, you know? Um, yeah. Is that you don't really have anyone to talk to. And so who cares? Like, I'm not going to blast my problems out there just for everybody to, to hear. Um, yeah. And it's, what is that? Um, none of you will be surprised at, at this part of the conversation, but I think it is difficult for people who struggle with church and Christianity and their place in it, who are, who are committed to the faith, committed to Christ, committed to walk in the line, but who really don't know how to do the church thing well. And, and I don't mean the biblical community thing. I mean the the expression of 
many of the expressions of church in America are challenging for followers of Christ <laughs> to make sense of, as we've had so many conversations about. And so for me, what it looked like is the lie with a grain of truth in it that all these people around me are not like me. They don't care about the same things that I do. They're here for different reasons than I am, and they're content with an experience that does nothing or very little for me. So how do you find people that you feel like are on the same wavelength and care about the same stuff so that you can share that last 10% of the darkness that you're trying to make sense of? Now, there is truth in that, but there is also a lie in that. In yeah. insofar as we're all we're all humans in the same boat, and I have convinced myself that nobody will understand me. I've convinced myself that there's no way that these people have anything to offer me, and that's not fair, and that's not true. But where is the line? Is what I found difficult. Yeah, and and you say American church there. I think that's an important distinction. Not that there's not other geographical regions where churches happening the same way. Um, are the same things or similar, but I think distinguishing the American church versus the the church that's described in the Bible mm-hmm. is, is an important distinction um, because you saw those people walking together toward toward Christ, I feel like, in, in difficult times more so than what you see in the American church. And I, I don't know that the American church is as quick to be there for people's mm true needs, I think there's this quick, well, hey, we'll pray for you and it's going to be okay. Like it's Mm going to get better. And, and yes, maybe so, but are you really being there for the person or are you just being there for your appearance? Yeah. And if you don't give people that room to mourn, like, like it says, you know, blessed are those who, who mourn and, and I, whatever that, you know, may mean depending on your situation, um, how can they really receive comfort? Yeah. Also in in the New Testament, in Acts and in especially in Paul's letters, I think, we are given a pretty unflattering picture at times of how the church, the early church handled themselves. I know there's a tendency yeah. to put the early church on a pedestal, and in some ways we should, because it was it started off very simplistic in a yeah. or simple, I guess, not simplistic simplistic. And that they seem to be oriented around the right things to start off with. Um, Acts 2.42, they prayed together, they ate together, they fellowshiped, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I think that's a pretty good definition of what church should be, and anything else is kind of icing to that. Um, but then there were there were folks who wanted, who thought that, that non-Jews should have to follow the Torah, and that... Um, there were squabbles about leadership and format and what about this and what about that and how to handle the order of the gatherings. And so all that stuff was there. It's not that they didn't have any problems to make sense of, but I think we, we have a couple thousand years of a different kind of history that or different kinds of baggage that maybe they didn't have, or at least it didn't look exactly the same. And, um, I think I think that makes a difference, and I, I can't speak to how it is anywhere else in the world because I don't live there. But that's been my own experience, anyway. Yeah, I understand that. Um, I think part of my other kind of struggle with it is, I think there's a better way to say it. Maybe that is biblical. Um, suck it up is not biblical. Yeah, at least I haven't found it. I, Take Maybe heart I'm reading is. in the wrong place. What's that? Take heart is. Take heart. Um, 
I was going somewhere different with it. You know, take take up your cross. Ooh, okay. okay. Is um Let's chase is what comes to my mind. <laughs> um, let's let's chase yours first. Okay. Uh, there's a line in Revelation. Uh, they overcome with the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And then Jesus says, "In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart; I've overcome it." Mm-hmm. And those are not. I think this gets at the heart of what you mentioned earlier, mourn, whatever that means exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of the question, is what does it mean to mourn? How do you mourn? Uh, at what point are you just wallowing in self-pity or, or <laughs> despair versus yeah. versus uh, versus lamenting the fallenness of your situation and the need for restoration and redemption that only Christ can bring. And I think the, the, the simple part is we just don't want to have to deal with any of that. Right. (laughs) And that, and that's why it's easier to keep people at a distance and from our own stuff and to keep a distance from their stuff. Cause I ain't trying to get any of that on me. And it's, we we don't have a good theology of mourning, I think, or grieving. That's that one thing that I had somebody say to me, or kind of came out in a conversation, is that I don't know how to, I don't really know how to grieve things, and it gets me stuck in moments that I need to snap out of, and kind of yearning for things that are not there anymore, you know, or situations that are mm-hmm. that have moved on, and that's just an, un, and that's a problem for a lot of people is is trying to make sense of. This didn't turn out like I thought it would, or something bad happened. What do I do now? That's the essence of what mourning is, I think, and it's it's really tough to do to mourn well. Yeah, I, I always struggled with it, man. Um, and this may be a little little too personal, but I'll uh, I don't mind sharing it. I think I always tried to. There's a couple things I may have shared some of this before. I grew up always wanting to fix things, um, mm-hmm. kind of be a fixer in some ways. And if something went wrong, not that I didn't cause my uh, fair share of problems or breakages <laughs> um, either, but there was a, a strong part of me that wanted to fix things that were wrong, whether it be keeping peace between people or protecting people or, or whatever it meant. That was my my goal and what I thought I was here for. And because of that, I, I didn't like to share my own problems often. Yeah. Um, with friends, I had friends I had to be there for, so... I need them to think I'm strong. Yeah. So if I, I don't suck it that. up when things are tough, like yeah. how, do, how, how are they going to expect me to be there for them? Now, is that completely true? Probably not, but that's what I convinced myself. And um, I took some of that into to marriage. Um, I remember in college, I lost my, uh, one of my granddad's, my dad's dad, and I was dating my wife at the time. And um, I was the woman who is my wife, I was dating her at the time, <laughs> um, but she, uh, she was trying dead. to, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, there's something to that. Right. Yeah. But, um, but she was trying to be there for me. And I, uh, in many ways, didn't let her, um, and hid that and just, it's kind of going to get through it on my own and, and did, I know that was a challenge for her. Um, and then ultimately I think one of the things that started changing me a little bit on this, um, just different things that happened through my life. So that happened. Um, my parents went through, through a divorce pretty quickly after we were married. And that was one of those things that was tough to allow her to be there for me. Now I was completely broken in many ways. Um, but 
I just didn't really know how to let her. It's like, what, what do you do to help? Like yeah. I'm sitting here trying to fix this. I, I can't be broken. So you don't need to help me kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, ultimately, man, that the thing that completely changed that were not those two things, but, um, we, we had a miscarriage after, after having our first, um, child between our first and second, we had a miscarriage and man, it, it completely broke me in a way I've never been broken before. And, um, hope I'm never broken again. I'm sure there will be something, but it, uh, it was tough. And and I know different people handle it differently. I've had friends handle it differently, but man, I, I was, um, we were both a wreck and there's no way I could have gotten that without I'd say letting myself go, but in some ways letting everything that I'd put up fall down um, and just cry and hurt and try to keep myself busy. That's what I would do for the longest. I, um, I'm i not a gardener by any means, but I remember building <laughs> a planter and trying to plant stuff just to keep me busy, to keep my mind off of it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work. And really what I finally learned is I've got to let my mind go there. And I've got to talk with people. And it's a conversation that at the time, I mean, that was seven ish years ago um I don't feel like was was happening a whole lot and um and there were people I just had to call like friends who had gone through it um, and seeing that they're still broken in some ways and and crying together through that and um yeah I don't that is ultimately what I think finally allowed me to see like it's okay to allow people to see when you're you're hurting yeah because then they there is comfort you know from you know, God's going to comfort me, yes, but even him allowing them to be used to comfort me. I, I remember one of the things that really helped was a buddy of mine who had gone through the same thing, sharing like, man, who better to parent your child than God, you hmm. know? And if you believe that your your child's with him now, man, what, what you think you're better parenting them in this world? <laughs> like, And I just remember being like, dang, you know? And, and it seems like it, it, the way he said it and presented it was probably way less harsh than what I'm saying there, but it was something that just allowed me to have that little bit of like, man, yeah, that's, uh, comforting. And I know that's probably sharing way too much, uh, from personal life there, but it, it was, it was something that made me realize it's okay to, to break down. Yeah. Um, I don't have to always suck it up. And sometimes, um, it's just part of life that that is part of taking up your cross at times is that, things are tough and you use it for him, mm-hmm. you know, um, not to shift completely to the other, the other rabbit to chase, but, um, yeah. Or even the take heart. I mean, to, to your rabbit too, <laughs> like that there's times where, yes, this looks horrible, but God's overcome all of this and there's something, something bigger from it, you know? Well, and that's not some kind of Christians are really good at like, being patronizing <laughs> honestly and i don't think it's our intent but it's these kind of are the patronizing kind of, of you to say yeah uh <laughs> re- respectfully be gentle with this but it, it's it's when you start to hear things like well everything happens for a reason or god has a plan and it's like screw that it's not helpful uh but I, you understand the intent in that they're in the same situation that you're in in which like i don't freaking know what to say to you uh I know I should probably say this. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think that anything like that begins to capture what it is like to feel the closeness of God in the midst of pain. 
No. No, there's nothing like it. People are a, a poor replacement for what, what God can offer us. And I don't know. We, I think we've probably all heard the adage, um, you know, why, why don't you listen instead of thinking about the next thing you want to say? Hmm. I often think in situations like that, that's, again, respectfully, <laughs> to, to Taylor's point, that's what people are doing. Hmm. It's, am I looking helpful in this situation? What can I say next? Instead of just really listening to someone um, and allowing them to be vulnerable and being that for them as well. Like, yeah. just because someone's in a vulnerable position doesn't mean you have to be tough. Like, that's not necessarily what they need. They may need to know that it's okay to be vulnerable yeah. by you demonstrating it. Yeah, and that's and that, it's still tough for me. I mean, uh, that helped me going through things like that and having to be just because there was no way for me to be necessarily strong, um, but having to try to be there for my wife while allowing her to be there for me and um, ultimately both of us realizing as much as we're there for each other, we, we need God during this. Humility takes strength because it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable because you're risking harm. And -hmm. especially if your experience has taught you, you will be harmed when you're vulnerable. It takes all the more fortitude to lower your defenses and open yourself up. I think anyway, is that it's a lot easier to wall yourself off than nobody can get in. There's no chance of me getting hurt and I'm, I'm just over here by myself. Whereas when you lower those barriers and invite people in, it's, it's really risky and it doesn't always work out very well. And, but it's kind of the only game in town, isn't it? Um, there is no cookie cutter way of, of making sense of this stuff. Yeah. No, there's not. And you're right. That's what makes it tough. Because there's times where you do try and even go to someone and trust them. And um, I know I've had experiences where it's been, it's backfired on me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Even when you, when you try to do things biblically, like, hey, I feel like this is the right approach for me to go and talk to this person. And um, and then just coming back and having to deal with, <laughs> I don't know, I worded it the other day to someone, the, the high school crap afterward yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> of like what happens after you try to talk to someone honestly. And, and so it's those things where that happens and you just feel like shutting down, even, even maybe in the small things. So then when there's something big, well, I'm not going to go to that person. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I think, and, and I, I think not to, I really don't like being critical of, of the church. And so people, please hear us. I think Taylor's in the same place. Like, the critiques are what it's become more than what it's supposed to be um, is what is at least that's where I'm coming from. I think Taylor's probably in a similar place. Our critique is, is what we've chosen to make the church into as, as humans, which of course we we screw that up at times. Um, but I just, I think we've, we've put up kind of this smoke show of what community is um, instead of making it what it's supposed to be at times. You know, think, it's become this thing where we sit in a room, we talk about the few things we're dealing with, and then we leave and come back and do it the next week without yeah. ever really doing anything about the things. Yeah. And that's a whole lot of things, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, uh, I've had conversations with with people before that if, if I'm 
equipped for anything, if I'm good at anything, I think it's helping is getting to clarity in a situation. Um, that's what I aspire to be good at is let's, let's look at this. Let's take all the data in. And these three things are what's important. That's what I aspire to. And sometimes I'm able to, and sometimes I'm not. I think, I think you are good at, at that in many ways, but what happens when there is no clarity that can come out of a situation? Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Job, the end of Job, the whole yeah. book is like, <laughs> he, like you you, the reader are privy to what's going on behind the scenes. Job is not. He never learns why any of these terrible <laughs> things happen to him. There is no explanation ever given. Yeah. He is just told to trust God, even if he never understands anything. And that happens a lot. Like, why is this crap going on? Where is God? What is he doing? He said this, but this happened. I mean, the whole book of Habakkuk is like this too, as I've mentioned before. Yeah. Or even in the midst of some of these super gnarly situations that some of it is like, okay, somebody reached a certain age and they passed away. That's, you know, that's sad, but not necessarily tragic. That's just the way things go. But like the situation that you and your wife had that you were describing, that's like, what is this? And yeah. I, I, I've not been through something like that, so I can't even begin to speak to it. But that's, there've been other things that have happened that I've been like, I just don't understand why. And I have all these intellectual things Man. that are in my head, you know, but it, but that doesn't help you in the moment, even if you have a perfectly formed theological argument. It's, it's still like, yeah, but this freaking hurts, man. Why? Yeah. Why does this have to hurt like this? Yeah, and always will. I mean, we're, and, and we're very, again, people handle it differently. Yeah. We, we very much, um, just uh, even our kids, like we talk about that child. Um, we, we were not far enough along to know if it was, uh, a boy or a girl. Um, but we, we talk about it. Like it's, it's, that child's part of our family. Like, mm. and so it's in, in the middle of conversation, you know, the kids will ask, they'll pray for, for that, that baby still, and, and talk about wanting to, you know, meet the baby one day and, and all sorts of things. And there's some hope there, uh, oddly enough in, in talking about it, but, even, you know, because of the timeline, had we had that child, we wouldn't have had Christian, mm-hmm. you know, our second child. Um, and so there's times that's comforting. You know, it doesn't, doesn't change the situation. It doesn't necessarily make it any clearer. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, look at this this child that we wouldn't have been able to. Yeah, know, yeah. To live life with. and um, the, There's something that I kind of wanted to, to bring into the conversation, which is that I think um, you need, in the same way that you, whatever language you speak, you need vocabulary, you need words to put the thoughts, with the thoughts that you're having. And we need a spiritual and theological and emotional vocabulary for things too. And especially for emotions. That if you don't get the practice in, if you don't get the reps in, as one of my friends likes to say, with... (laughs) making sense of these kind of situations, then you, you find you don't speak those languages very well. And I think the church in the West, so we're talking about America and probably Europe to a certain degree because of the way that those kind of societies grew out of each other and affected each other, that um, I think in the modern church era in America anyway, we don't really have a language or a dialect of mourning because the art, quote unquote, 
that we tend to consume or that helps shape the art and the sermons and you know the the music the the films that we watch the books that we read i think that there are times the songs we do in church i think that the lamentation in the morning often is left out of the equation yeah and so that when it's there we kind of don't know what to do with it um there's a band that there's a band that we've that we both like that we've talked about before as cities burn and I remember their first album, Son, I Loved It, Your Darkest. I mean, the, the, the darkest is there for a reason. A lot of the songs on that album are so raw in the emotion that they express and so yeah. scathing in their prophetic critique of the church and of Christians that, um, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's pretty extreme music anyway, but I remember that there was a, there were folks in my life that had a pretty strong reaction to the lyrics, negative reaction, and, and saying it's so negative, and there's just there, there's no hope there, and all this. And in retrospect, I think one of the reasons that band meant so much to so many people is they were saying things that you're not allowed to say in church. They were talking about subjects that were not welcome in your small group, or not a part of the sermons that we grew up hearing, or the devotions that we were reading, or, or whatever the case may be, not part of the songs we were yeah. singing. And that, that it, it was a language of lamentation. It was a language of mourning. It was a language of, of the prophets. And if you've read the prophets much, there's a lot of really gnarly stuff in there of acknowledging of all of the crap that goes along with life under the sun. And, and yeah. you know, I just uh, sometimes I wonder, and I think it's changed somewhat. I think that kind of there's a response to that that has emerged. Like we, we had... Um, Andy Ziff on here a few episodes back, or we've had Josh Porter on and talking about the kind of art that they want to make as believers that does not shy away from the realities of human life and, and the Christian experience that it does exist. But I wonder, that was my experience when I was younger is that it wasn't by and large, it wasn't really part of the conversation. And so that I think that what happened is a lot of people grew up without a language of mourning, without a dialect of lamentation that could yeah. then help them in these moments. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I'm glad you mentioned language, just because I think so much of it even boils down to maybe semantics in some ways. Mm. Just suck it up just seems like such a worldly, like, you know, the, we, we talk about a lot that get yours mentality, like deal with it so you could come out ahead. Um, and mm. it's that language of like, I don't know, it, it, it seems to be very contradictory language to the gospel. You know, when I look, I actually, because I was curious as we're talking about it, I looked up the origin of Suck It Up. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with it? No. <laughs> Not at all what I thought. Um, and, and now I will never use that phrase probably the same way, but it's uh, the origin, according to, to this, and who knows, this is, you know, Wikipedia, <laughs> but there's multiple... Uh, sites of it, but it, it's saying the origin of the expression "suck it up" comes from World War II pilots. If a pilot happened to vomit in their oxygen mask, well, they oh, had gosh. to suck it up, <laughs> or else they'd breathe acidic fumes into their lungs and die. Like, okay, and so it, it was <laughs> it, the expression, wow. you know, because of that means to choose the the lesser of, of two evils, right? To yeah. suck it up or or die, and I um. I don't know if that adds much to the conversation, <laughs> but I felt like it was interesting. 
I don't, I don't, I think the, the language matters. Yeah. Because I think as, as followers of Christ, we should have a different language than the rest of the world. Um, yeah. I think we should not, not, not this flowery language necessarily. Not like what, yes. Not, we've talked about Christian art and you even mentioned, you know, some of what Josh said earlier. And I think sometimes we downplay the realness of this world and, and the harshness of the world and, and just things we may go through by making everything look pretty, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then we get this, well, I'll pray for you and it's going to all be all right. Well, maybe not, you know, if it's yeah. not, you know, what God wants to happen, it's, it's you know, chances are it's not going to happen. But there, There's sovereignty there. But I think we've allowed ourselves to go down that path so much that um, we use things without thinking about it. And I think the Christian approach of compassion is very different than suck it up. I think, you know, take heart and... Um, Take up your cross, or probably take heart. In some cases, sounds better than take up your cross, even. But understanding that yes, there's there's going to be trouble, but we don't see the full plan mm-hmm. is something you just have to lean into without understanding. And, and not that it's easy, but I think there's, that sounds better than suck it up. You know? Yeah. So there, there's a crazy. There's scripture about this. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to kind of go in a, in a certain direction in response to that. It's not the Old Testament, is it? Uh, it is. Totally kidding. Yeah. That's the New Testament too, though. Um, <laughs> there is such a rich tradition of lamentation mm-hmm. in, the, in the Bible. There's a book called Lamentations yeah. <laughs> for freaking crying out I can out think loud. of a, a pretty specific uh, example. Yeah. 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 But, but even beyond that, uh, there's so many psalms. There's so much... Uh, poetry, frankly, in the prophets about how to make sense of life under the sun as the preacher in Ecclesiastes uh, says it. And it's just, when's the last time you heard a sermon preached out of Lamentations? You know, when is it, when's the last time you heard a sermon or a song built on one of the Psalms of imprecation or out of the blessings and the curses at the end of Deuteronomy? That the language is there. We just yeah. don't like going there, I think. But but beyond that, here, here this phrase is in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Paul in his, I, th- I think it's in 2 Thessalonians, says we don't mourn like those who don't have hope. Mm-hmm. And that is a primary difference. Beyond yeah. that, though, so I've, I've been talking about Deuteronomy a lot lately because it's what I've been reading. And... Um, in one of the latter chapters, I think it's, uh, I think it's in the twenties. It's the Moses is talking about a lot of the regulations for cleanliness around the camp. Like, go dig a hole over there and poop in it. Don't poop outside your tent. And and then all kinds of dietary things. And there's there's just all these law, all these laws or statutes are kind of just thrown together. It's sort of a grab bag. And that's a longer conversation for why it's set up that way. I think. But there, this phrase stuck out to me this week um, that they were to keep the camp clean and, and organized and all this. He said, because the Lord your God walks in your midst. Hmm. And I was just like, oh my gosh. That so landed on me. And we talked about in a previous episode, one of the last two, that in, in chapter four, Moses talks about all of the laws that he's about to recap and he yeah. said, the whole point of this is so that 
this is what wise people do. They live their lives in light of these truths applied in these ways so that the nations around you will look and say, wow, that is a wise people. Is there any other people whose God is close to them? Hmm. The way that our God is close to us. And that, that phrase just arrested my, I'm getting a little emotional <laughs> because it, it, the, we don't mourn like those who have no hope because the Lord our God walks in our midst. And that is the difference. Yeah. And that is the only thing that makes a difference in the kind of situations that we're talking about. Yeah. I want to read two passages of Scripture that are from di very different parts of, of the Bible. One is in Deuteronomy 28, and the other is in Isaiah 65. In, in Deuteronomy 28, Moses, the way he recaps it is, I've set before you blessings and curses. And this is the part where he's talking about both. And this specifically <laughs> um, is the part about the curses. And, and some of it's pretty gnarly, so bear, bear with me here. I'm going somewhere with this. This is talking about what they do if they follow after other gods and they're not obedient and they do not pursue justice when it comes to the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, and they don't acknowledge God and they don't take care of their country, of, of, their, of their people. These are the things that, that will happen. You will not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. You shall betroth the wife but another man will violate her. You shall build a house, but you will not live in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you will not use its fruit. So on and so forth. Um, your sons and daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes look on them and yearn for them continually, but there will be nothing you can do. You shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you will neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall devour them. You shall have sons and daughters, but they will not be yours. They will go into captivity. And so all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. I mean, that's, that describes what, I mean, this is specifically about disobedience. And sometimes these are the kinds of things that happen when we disobey in a direction long enough. But these also are things that happen just because the world, the flesh, and the devil are at work to destroy the good that God has caused to be. Yeah. And sometimes we don't know why something bad is happening. We just know that it is. Yeah. But the something else that caught my attention here is that some of these things that are listed, and I read specific ones on purpose, sounded familiar. Because in Isaiah 65, God reverses them all. So this is a new mm -hmm. heavens and a new earth passage. So I'll read the first couple of verses, but then I'm going to skip down, and I think it'll make sense. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the formal things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for glad gladness. There will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. Let's see if I can get through this. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. They will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. 
They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children doomed to calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And that is the language of those who mourn. Yeah. For they will be comforted. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's... um that phrase in the first part, there's nothing you can do. That was a uh, pivotal moment, man. I remember when we dealt with the miscarriage or we're going through it, you know, not that we don't deal with it again from time to time. I don't know if it's one of those things you get over, you know. <laughs> I don't think you're um, supposed to. Yeah. And and um, and again, I'm, I'm not saying there's other people that don't deal with things a different way and that it's not fine so my experience may be different than others but it's just kind of that constant like what if you know um I remember sitting there like trying to ask the doctor to keep checking um and just kind of sitting in the room and like we'll come back in two days and like knowing nothing was probably going to be different but hey we'll pray about it and um and there's a moment when I realized that there's nothing that I can do there's no amount of money. There's no amount of power. And for, at that time, what was a, you know, a believer, but a pretty arrogant, <laughs> in some ways, person, um, it was a slap in the face, but a good one to understand that, and I'm powerless. And um, to your point, Scripture is, does talk about this. And I... Uh, I had for some reason really leaned into this verse previously or this passage. And in this time it, it was a recall, but in Romans five, um, that there's talk of this too, you know, a little bit. It, it talks in Romans five, three, it starts, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy spirit who has been given to us. And, uh, I don't know. It's just that knowledge of, man, this is tough, but but there's hope despite it. Yeah. And God's got a reason. I don't think I will ever fully understand that. Um, I don't think there's a point where I'm like, I'm okay that this happened <laughs> necessarily, but it's it's bigger than me and my pursuits and my idea of my perfect life here. And I think that's why it's, I, I don't think suck it up ever provides that comfort. No. You know, I think it's push forward and don't question and don't grieve and don't get through. And I think God tells us to take heart and to take up our cross for specific reasons. Um, you know, as as m- much as it may feel better just to ignore it and pretend it didn't happen, I- I'm supposed to have that as a, we use the word tension a lot, that is supposed to be a tension in my life for a reason. Yeah. Um, that I wish wasn't there. But it is. Yeah. There's comfort too. 
it doesn't make sense, but not to flip completely from the Beatitudes, but there's another list we're given in Scripture called the Fruits of the Spirit. And in it, it talks about a peace that passes understanding, you know, a peace that doesn't make sense. And I kind of think that's that's one of those things there. Yeah. I mean, all of Scripture and our experience and creation and everything else testifies to the fact that the Lord is close to those who follow after it. Cause when we come 